0: Baptist Church. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I did not run or labor in vain, for even as I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I will be glad and rejoice with all of you.
1: a psychologist a number of years ago who was doing some research on children's behaviors. And and on one occasion, he, he got a couple of young boys and he wanted to try to determine some attitude kind of stuff. And so he told these two boys that he was going to put them each in a different room that had some really fun stuff to do and and that they could just have a good time and so these boys expectations were really high he led one of the boys to a room that had blocks and legos and and lincoln logs and all kinds of stuff that he could build with and and put him in that room and the other boy he led to a room that had this big pile of horse manure right in the middle of the floor and so he put him in the rooms and and After a few minutes, the the boy that was in the room with all the blocks came out and said, I'm bored. There's nothing really fun in there. There's just some blocks, and I don't really like blocks. And the guy said, okay, well, okay. Um, And he waited for a few minutes for the other boy to come out, and he never came out. And so he goes and he opens the door, and this horse manure is spread all over the room. It's all over the place. The kids got manure all over him. And he says, Son, how'd you get so messy? And this little boy said, well, with all that manure, I just knew there had to be a pony in there somewhere. (laughs) I don't know if that really happened. But I think it illustrates well the different attitudes, different approaches that we all have for life. I mean, some of us have all kinds of positive things around us and all we can do is complain. Oh, all I got is blocks. And then some of us have just a pile of stuff in front of us and, and we're always looking for the upside in it some of us are complainers some of us are conquerors some of us are whiners some of us are winners and that's what we're going to see in the in these chapters in Joshua this morning chapter 17 to 19 we're we're going to see that there are these these people who come and they they look at the same set of circumstances with regard to taking this new ground of the promised land, and they respond very differently. Some of the people respond by taking initiative, and they're going to go for it, and they're saying, yeah, there's possibilities here. And some of them just complain and whine, and, and they let inertia hold them back. We've been in this series in the book of Joshua for the last number of months where we've been looking at, at these different... Um, We've been learning principles about what it means to take new ground in our lives spiritually and new ground as a congregation. And we have finished the the conquests um, portion of the, the book. And now we're in the settling portion of the book where Israel is is settling into this new ground, but there's, there's pockets of resistance that still need to be dealt with. And there's still some challenges even in the settling. And I think that sometimes... Um, in our spiritual journey, not, not sometimes, always in our spiritual journey, as we're taking new ground, we fight these battles, we fight these big battles, and, and we win, and we feel great. But then there's, in order to really establish ourselves in this new territory that God has called us into, there's still work to be done. And that's what we're going to see this morning in, in Joshua 17 through 19. So if, if you want to turn to Joshua chapter 17... We're going we're gonna to look at four vignettes. And the first vignette is the story of the, these five sisters, the daughters of Zelophehad. Say that fast five times. Zelophehad, Zelophehad. And this is, this is at the beginning of, of chapter 17 in, in the account of the, uh, the settling of the tribe of Manasseh. Starting in verse 3. Says now Zelophehad, son of Heffer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters whose names were Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milca, and Turza. They went to Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the leaders and said, "The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers." So Joshua gave them an inheritance along with the brothers of their father according to the Lord's command. Manasseh's share consisted of ten tracts of land beside Gilead and Bashan east of the Jordan because the daughters of the tribes of Manasseh received an inheritance among the sons. The land of Gilead belonged to the rest of the descendants of Manasseh. Now this may not seem like a big deal for us, but this was huge in that culture because land land rights were always passed down to the sons not the daughters and so for these women to step up and say we want our share was a huge thing and what they did they didn't they didn't just settle But they stepped out in faith and they took initiative according to what they had done actually back about 20 years prior. You can read the story in Numbers chapter 27, but the Sparks notes on it is that these daughters come to Moses while they're in the wilderness and and they say, um, Moses, our dad's got no boys and we want his land when it's our time. And so Moses takes the request to God, and God essentially says, yeah, Moses, give them the land, and in fact, you need to change or fix the inheritance laws. So here we are two decades later, and these women come to Joshua, and they say, remember what the Lord told Joshua? It's in that book that you have that the Lord told you not to deviate from. And so Joshua goes and looks, and sure enough, it's there, and and Joshua does what God has commanded. And he gives them this inheritance. But let's not discount the courage and the... The faithful initiative that it took for these women to go to the male leadership of Israel and say, "Um, What's going on here is not enough. We want what's ours. Friends, the spiritual principle, I think, is that God is telling all of us, men and women included. That we need to step into what is rightfully ours as the abundant life that Christ promised all the completeness, all the the fullness, all the abundance of the life that Jesus came to give us. We need to claim it. We need to step up and and step into it. What did Jesus' brother James say? He said, You do not have because you do not ask. How often do we settle for status quo in our spiritual lives simply because we don't ask to grow? We don't ask for the Lord to change us in those things. Too often, our prayers revolve around, Lord, I'm a little short on rent this month. Could you help me out? Right? I mean, that's kind of the direction where our prayers go. When was the last time you said, Lord... I need to be a more patient friend. I need to be a better listener. And, and so I need, I, I ask that you would put me in places where I can learn to do that so that I become more of the man, more of the woman you've created me to be. Lord, I, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. And, and as best as I understand, These are the things that I need to do in order to be that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would enable me to go there. I pray that I I want that patience. I want that um, fill in the blank. When was the last time you prayed that prayer? When was the last time you asked, Lord, I want to step into the fullness of the life that you've called me to? Whatever that looks like. These daughters of Zelophehad took initiative. And they said, we want our possessions. Friends, we've been promised an abundant life in Christ. And we settle for second best because we don't ask for it. We don't step up and ask. We don't take initiative. Skip down the page to verse 14. Here's the second vignette. And this is in contrast to these these women who took faithful initiative. Here are the sons of Joseph, the the tribe of of Ephraim and half-tribe of Manasseh, who just sink into faithless inertia. And just so that we're clear, everybody know what inertia means? I'm going to read a definition. Inertia is the inability or unwillingness to move or act. The inability or unwillingness to move or act. It is a tendency to remain in the state one is in and not start changes. You can look it up later, but that's what MSN Encarta says it is. Okay? That's what we see in, in, in these sons of Joseph, the, their unwillingness to move and act and make changes in their lives. It's inertia. Verse 14, the people of Joseph said to Joshua, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. If you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear the land for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and Raphaites. The people of Joseph replied, The hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the plain have hired chariots, both those in Bethshan and its settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. But Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are numerous and very powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have iron chariots, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. These guys are whiners. They're coming to Joshua saying, You're not giving us enough land. But Joshua doesn't listen to their complaints. In fact, in verse 15, he calls them out on two very specific things. He says, Go clear the go clear the forest, and you'll have land, and go fight the Canaanites that are there. There's still some pockets of resistance but these folks don't want to fight and they don't want to work hard. They, you know, essentially they're saying, you know, it's too hard. We don't want to do that. In fact, we can't do that. I'm tired of these blocks. I'm bored. In verses 17 and 18, Joshua tells these people essentially, do what Caleb did. Go go up, claim the mountains, defeat the Canaanites. He says, yeah, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some discipline, but you can do it. He, he makes some very declarative statements. Um, he says, you will try. You will clear the land. You will claim it all the way to the borders. There's, see, Caleb, or Joshua is pressing into them and saying, the Lord's promised you this. Look at what he's already done. You can do this. A lot of us have this same kind of approach to our spiritual lives. It's too hard. I can't do it. We've all heard the phrase, under the circumstances, right? Well, you know, under the circumstances. Friends, Christians should never live under the circumstances. We should rise above the circumstances. We should never say, well, under the circumstances. We should say, no, Lord, these are the circumstances you've given me. Now, where's the pony? How do I make the most of the circumstance that you've put me in so that I can step into the fullness of life you came to give me? I was thinking through this text, and... The Lord was reminding me of all the times that I complained to Him about the circumstances I'm in. Why I don't have this and why things aren't going like that and, and Lord, come on, please. You know, it's, I just kind of whine to Him sometimes. And He he just said to me essentially what joshua said joshua said to these sons of joseph he said keith get up and take initiative i've promised to be with you i've promised to empower you my spirit is in you now go do it stop sitting around whining about it well thanks lord (laughs) you know thanks for that encouragement um You know, there's so many times when I've got blocks and I'm in a room full of blocks and Legos and I'm just whining. The third vignette is in chapter 18. It's another example of inertia. There's five tribes that have been, they've, they've begun to take their land. There's seven that apparently are procrastinating. So Joshua moves the camp to Shiloh, which is in the territory of Ephraim. And he does that so that he's like right in the midst of these other, these seven procrastinating tribes, because he wants them to get off the dime. Chapter 18, verse 1. <coughs> the whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control. But there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. So Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Appoint three men from each tribe. I will send them out to make a survey of the land and will write a description of it according to the inheritance of each. Then they will return to me. The Hebrew structure of verse 2 implies that a significant time has elapsed from when they had actually conquered the land to where they are now. And that word in verse 2 that is um, that is translated as received is the word lakach, which can also be translated as to seize or to take hold of. and And so... Apparently, these seven remaining tribes have, have grown complacent. They're, they're satisfied with, with the life where they are right now. They're kind of hanging around Gilgal, and they've, they've carved out a niche among the tribes that, that are there, and they're saying, you know what? This is just fine. We don't really need to go and do the hard work of taking the the possession that God has marked out for us. We're we're good where we are. But Joshua steps up and he confronts them with two issues. First is ingratitude. Because the land has been given to them. It's the land the the, the Lord God of your fathers has given you. Aren't you going to take this gift? He confronts them on their ingratitude. And then second, he confronts them on their unbelief or faithlessness. Because the promise has been made that they can conquer this and possess it. But they're not stepping into it. And so he says, how long will you put it off? How long will you wait to take hold of that Possession that is yours. Question. What's keeping you. From taking hold of God's promises in your life. How long will you wait. Before you step into the fullness. Of what he's promised you. My guess is that. If we took a poll. There would be. Probably a hundred percent of us that would say, I'm not living in the fullness of God's promise for me. And you'd be able to to identify one or two or six or twelve areas where you're not stepping in to the fullness of life that God has for you. So my question is, what's holding you back? What are you waiting on? Why are you procrastinating? I can't answer for you, but I can answer for me. My answer is because I'm okay where I'm at. I kind of like hanging around Gilgal. It's not great. It's a little crowded. It's not bad. And for me to step into the promise and take hold of that promise of God for me, means it's going to take some work. I'm going to have to sacrifice some comfort. I might even have to get rid of some sin habits. You know, There's some stuff that I'm going to have to do, deal with. But don't you want that abundant life? Don't you want that new ground that God's given you? Don't you want the, this, the fullness of life that God created you for? Yeah, maybe, kind (laughs) of. You know, that's what's going on with these guys. They're just hanging around Gilgal. I think a lot of us do the same thing. We just hang around Gilgal. You know, if you listen to to the language of spiritual inertia, it sounds like I can't kick that habit. I can't stop overeating. I can't get out of that relationship. I can't communicate well with my spouse. I can't um, love my wife better. I can't, you know, make my kids behave. I can't, I can't, I can't. That's spiritual inertia. Because... Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The challenges that that Joshua lays out to these people, the declarative statements are, the hill country's there, go clear it. The Canaanites are there, yeah, you got them. The Lord's with you. The Lord's giving you this land. He's promised to be with you. Go get it. And you read through the New Testament and you hear the same message of the Lord given to us in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? Not some things, not a few things, not most things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. To the Corinthians, he's he's telling the Corinthians what's going on. He's saying, yeah, I was struggling with this stuff, and I prayed that the Lord would take this away from me, but God said, no. He said, no, my grace is sufficient. And so because I got that message from the Lord, here's here's what's happened in me. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses for Christ, because Christ, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then he says, I delight in hardship and in persecution and in suffering and weakness for when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. See, that's what God's telling us. Paul said to the Ephesians in in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I pray that you may um, be strengthened with the power that that, that rose, that raised, that that rose Jesus from the dead. I can't remember the word raised, thank you, that raised Jesus from the dead. And I was an English major in college. that you'll be strengthened with the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that power is yours. I pray that you would know that, Paul says. Peter, he writes and he says, says, God is empowering you so that you might participate in his life. Friends, you read through the, the New Testament over and over and over and over. God says, My power is there so that you can do all things, so that you can walk through hardship, so that you can participate in this abundant life that I came to give you. And yet we say, Yeah, I'm kind of bored. I can't do it. I'm tired. It's too hard. What are you waiting on? What am I waiting on? Turn the page last vignette. And this is, this is of Joshua himself. This, this is at the very end of the land allotments. And this is the land that Joshua is going to get for himself. And there's a couple of things that are going to stand out in, in him. Look at chapter 19, verse 49. When they had finished dividing the land into its allotted portions, the Israelites gave Joshua, son of Nun, an inheritance among them as the Lord had commanded. They gave him the town he asked for, timnath Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he built up the town and settled there. These are the territories that Eliezer the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel assigned by Lot at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And so they finished dividing the land. There's a couple of things here that I think are really important for us to see. Joshua was really patient, wasn't he? I mean, he's he's waiting until everybody else gets their stuff, and then he says, okay, I'll take what's left. How many leaders do you know? How many leaders are in our culture or, or in our jobs, in our lives, who, you know, the first thing they want, they want theirs before everybody else gets theirs. They want the corner office. They want the, the parking space with their name on it. They want, they want the perks and then whatever's left. Well, you can have that, but I'm the guy in charge, so I get this. Not Joshua. Joshua's humble. Joshua's patient. And he just says, we'll, we'll get there, but, but let's make sure everybody else gets their allotment. But just because he was patient doesn't mean that he wasn't a man who t- takes initiative. Because notice the city that he asked for. The city that he asked for is Timnath-Sarah that's in the hill country of Ephraim, Where have we heard about the hill country of Ephraim before? The sons of Joseph, right? This is in the same territory. And these sons of Joseph are going, oh, it's too hard. We don't want to clear the hills. It's going to take work. There's Canaanites there. What does Joshua say? It's a pile of manure, but I'm looking for the pony. I'm, let's go get it. Let's go. You see, what's so cool about Joshua is that he practices what he preaches. He doesn't just lay it out there and then say, yeah, that's something you guys ought to do, but, but you know that doesn't really apply to me. No, he says, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to do exactly what I told you because I know the Lord will empower me to do it. And he did. He practiced what he preached. He took initiative. The question is, do we do the same thing? My wife loves it when I do premarital counseling because she knows that in that season when I'm doing premarital counseling, I'm going to be a really good husband. Because I'm being reminded of all the areas that I fall short. And I'm going, ooh, yeah, I probably ought to do that. You know, I've been preaching to these people in my office about this. I probably ought to to do that. Um, And that will last for a season. And then I'll let inertia set in again. And and then, you know, I get to do somebody else. But, um, friends, we've talked about this. God has given us his word that declares what abundant life looks like, what walking with the Spirit looks like, what, what living victoriously looks like. And yet, how often do we not step into it? One, either because we're just, we're too soft and we don't want to and we're going to let inertia take over. Or two, we don't even know what it says. friends if you want to step into the abundant life you need to know what that looks like you need to know what what god's word says so that you can say oh there's the target how do i hit that we got to we got to understand that here where i am now is not as good as there where god wants me to be we had a leadership meeting on on thursday night and 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 part of the message for us as a church is here, where we are now, is not as good as there, where God wants us to be as a congregation. And so we need to take the steps. We need to take the initiative to, to step into that thing that he's promised us as individuals and as a, as a corporate body so that, we, yes, we take new ground, but we don't stop With the conquest, we keep moving so that we establish ourselves in that place. We're going to come to the communion table in a moment. And if you're visiting with us this morning, um, let me just tell you this is something that we do every week, it is the culmination of our worship because we want to celebrate what Jesus has done in his body being broken for us and his blood being shed for us so that we can, can step into this abundant life that he came to give us. And so everyone is invited to the table, everyone who has said, yes, I, I you know, have, have trusted my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my Savior, as my leader, as my, as my friend my forgiver. If you've done that, then you're welcome to come to the table. There's two tables in the front and there's two tables in the back and, and, and there's no real order to this. You just come when you're ready. But in order to get ready for this, I want us to spend a few, just a couple of moments thinking about asking the question, As you think of these vignettes, ask yourself Am I more like Joshua and the daughters of Zelophehad? Where I take initiative and I step out in faith and I, I move into the promise that God has for me. Am I more like that? Or am I more like the sons of Joseph and the seven procrastinating tribes? Or I just kind of whine and complain that things aren't the way I want them to be. And then I just don't do anything about it. Am I a conqueror or a complainer? Am I a winner or am I a whiner? I want you to wrestle with that question for a few minutes.